there we're recording <laughs> great intro yeah i mean this is our intro now we're, oh we're not gonna retake it just a super soft sweet nice intro. and sweet that yeah. aop no it's you're you should be a pro at this at the no intro intro yeah we always we ask the same questions we go how's it going pretty good how are you that's like <laughs> how's how's it going pretty good how are you good how are you mad i'm great <laughs> thoroughly entertained <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh derek we've just been we've been basically pretending you were on the podcast for <laughs> for a couple of weeks now mm-hmm. so we thought we should just actually have you on the podcast instead of just saying what you might say just <laughs> have you say it instead yeah great i'm glad to be here yeah my ears have been burning the last few weeks um but yes always enjoy listening to you guys' updates and uh thought maybe i could uh contribute my actual voice do you have a backstop for this do i have a backstop it could go really long that's fine or a hard stop no that's fine i do not um i think so selfishly, I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about, uh, which is kind of like what's going on in our uh, mastermind group as well right now. I remember when you were launching SavvyCal, um, <laughs> we talked a lot about SavvyCal, so, but I feel like now we almost only talk about reform. <laughs> so, uh, Well, um, you know, it's, a, it's that formative I, time and that's where like everything feels really high stakes and there's so many unknowns. And so it's not surprising that it ends up kind of dominating the the headspace. But it's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a su- such a muddy phase. And then you, mm-hmm. once you kind of get out of that a little bit, you get into, like, you just need to, like, execute on and iterate for months. And you're like, yeah, I don't really know what to say. Like, I don't really know how you can help. Or, like, I, I, I know what I need to do for the next quarter. Right. But uh, I'm, like, trying to find out what I need to do the next hour right now (laughs) yeah no you're making probably a higher density of of decisions per day than me or matt right now i suspect yeah i think we talked about that a few episodes ago about like how when my wife asked me a question when i get out of the office i'm like no don't (laughs) i I don't know i i don't know no matter like if it costs more than ten thousand kroner I don't care <laughs> or less. Sorry. <laughs> I would never say that, <laughs> but yeah, I thought it would be cool to do just like a short round of updates. Um, if we can, we haven't been known to do short updates, but we'll, we'll we can try at least. Mm-hmm. And then, then maybe we can get into some of the stuff I wrote down. I think there is some, some stuff that's relevant to, to all of us. Cool. But that's good. Especially yeah. to me. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, I've seen you post a lot of cell mm. cell tweets. Yeah, and yeah, and w- what's going on with Twitter? Like, they still don't have uh, highlight support for cell. It's terrible, right? Don't you know someone there? Or? <laughs> yeah, I, like somebody asked the other day. So, what would this actually look like in code? And I couldn't resist the bait, so I just started typing out like what it looks like like this is hideous (laughs) my coding style is terrible in a tweet but Mm -hmm. fortunately it's pretty darn concise just like um 
spreadsheet formulas, so it wasn't too bad. But um, yeah, I've been very um, much in the thick of it from a uh, developing the language standpoint, which is really, really exciting because I didn't, I, I have to say, like, I did not know. I w- if I bet, I'd say there was a greater than 50% chance that I would never get to work on what I'm working on right now just because it felt like, okay, yeah, I mean, even if I get this in market and it's successful, the odds that I come back around, that it's so successful that I come back around and I work on this part of it is unlikely. Like it was one of those enhancements way in the future where maybe one day, well, you know, fate is a funny thing and it wasn't because of extreme success, but it was more like, okay, because the current product is not taking off the way I want it to, um, I need to do something different. And yeah, this kind of deep work on the developing the language is really, really exciting because uh, yeah, it's, it's first of all, it's fun. And second of all, I think it's going to be really high leverage for people that learn it. And um, so what that means, practically speaking, I basically have spent the last week deleting a ton of code uh, lines of code that is from the interpreter, um, keeping the data model intact and then just, you know, rather than expecting the user to write these syntax trees, which for CS people would mean, you know, you're like writing very low level sort of code uh, in terms of what you want the thing to do. Uh, I've written a parser that will take fairly simple expressions and one only one built-in function at this point and uh, run a simulation for you, hmm. which is pretty pretty fun so they're so the new version sounds basically be programmable simulations uh for business people is one way to look at it wow and is this all visual right now because i know you have the component of like the, the you know kind of drag and drop put things you know put boxes on a canvas and draw arrows between them and so mm-hmm. is there are there like text boxes inside of that where you're writing similar things to like an excel formula bar basically yeah yeah, if you click into one of those boxes, so it, it does, most of the new UI looks like a whiteboard filled with boxes and arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you click a box, it says um, there'll be a formula bar at the top, just like G Sheets or Excel, you know, an FX, <laughs> FX, and then a yeah. blank input. And it's in that input that you type these expressions that I'm working on. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, they generally start with an equal sign, just like Excel. And then you just put in, you know, um, some mathematical calculations or you call a function and, uh, yeah, there's only one function so far, but yeah, that, that's the way it works. And then when you essentially run it, if you really want to, you could think of it as control flow, but it's not, it's not control flow. It is just time over these things. So the arrows are like, you know, start with this box and then take the output of this and And put it, feed it into that so mm-hmm. if you if you think about this that's why i say it's not really control flow what it actually is is you could really represent this as like uh well i'll say a curry currying function but basically mm-hmm. return this value feed it to this return this value feed it to this return this value feed all the way up the stack if you will mm-hmm. and so users are writing these really 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 nested functions without mm-hmm. knowing it right it doesn't look that way on the screen it just looks like a diagram but um that's what they're, they're writing code and they're writing code that runs a simulation. And, you know, there's really no like, you know, client, uh, user friendly UI UX friendly way to program a simulation on the mm-hmm. web today that I know mm-hmm. of. So 
yeah, I think the applicability is pretty broad. Um, hmm. And so I've been having a lot of fun. Lately. Are these um, are these pure functions like like the a box that takes data in and puts something out? Is it is there any global state that these mutate, or is it just purely data in, data out, and otherwise stateless? Yeah, there's no global state that they mutate. The only global state is what time is it, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the only thing the and that's the threat of execution. It keeps track of that, and so the events actually get sprinkled onto a timeline. So there is some actual Python simulator stuff at the very core here, and its initial job is take these functions rather than run them in like procedural order, if you will, call them in time order. And that means they're sprinkled on a timeline. So there's like one master timeline and everything else is, I want to say stateless, but like the events themselves, the functions have their own internal state. So mm -hmm. they can accumulate values. They can, um, they do accumulate values. And that's actually one of the really fun things about this latest version is when I created SimSAS, I had this really, I went really deep on simulating a software business, a SaaS business. And I created these concepts around like bottlenecks and constraints and like, hey, if you don't have enough salespeople, then you can't work all the leads that you're getting, like stuff like that. And I'm actually coming full back around to that now and saying, hmm, you know, if you let the user basically say, yeah, this is a function but like the maximum input is X or the minimum out or the minimum output is X or it takes a certain amount of days to run, you know, like you add all these sort of conditionals, like behaviors mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. function. You're basically letting the user define like conditional logic in a way that's very hard to do in Excel. So it's mm -hmm. like once this, if you like in Excel, you're saying like once a three is more than 500,000, like put any other values into A4. Yeah, you know? yep, right. And that is really hard to do in Excel. You can do that by saying, well, A4 equals A3 minus 500,000, mm -hmm. but then it's negative for a while and that doesn't make any sense. And then like, you can't really animate a spreadsheet. Like it animates each time you update a certain value, but you don't get to see how everything flows over time so that's it's really really fun it's um for those that remember like the rube goldberg machines or different like contraptions that you might have invented as a kid or even like lego technic <laughs> it has that feel to it it's like mm -hmm. we're gonna give you pipes and pipes and um buckets and these various sort of shapes and then you basically define your business and it's it's it, the current challenge is like well is there any is there any business process or finance function that can't be described as this sort of simple state machine you know with these mechanics and i mean once you have enough once you have like sort of a critical mass of these uh, little shapes and, and behaviors mm -hmm. it's like no sh i mean you can you can simulate almost any uh engine or a little simple machine you know you don't need a lot i feel like excel excel gives you the for loop because you can like click the bottom right of a cell and drag it across the screen right and it's like ooh, what just happened it's like well that was a for loop basically it's like for every column repeat this thing mm -hmm. what we're saying is like well what if we gave the user 
a while loop and a switch statement effectively and like some if then so like if we just give them like 10 more little shapes or parts like you can kind of simulate anything well yeah, along those I lines mean, sorry Oh, sorry, Peter. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're in, in 2021 and you have a startup and you don't have your own programming language and IDE, like, what are you even doing? <laughs> yeah, well, no, right. It was, it was along those lines I was going to ask this question. Like, um, <laughs> is this still con- a startup, Matt? Or is- did you consider, uh, like, just giving people a Python editor instead of writing <laughs> your own language, you know, and basically writing yeah. libraries that expose functions that are summit specific? But the but the programming language itself, you know, you evaluate in a sandbox, and it's and it's just uh, an existing language. I think that's. I mean, uh, this may be a stretch, but like in the same way that, you know, languages, you know, evolve from other ones. Like ultimately, the back end of Summit is Python. the The language that we're talking about is really just a way of, you know, I, I, we wrote a parser on top of. We just wanted to be able to. I mean, in some sense, they are writing Python, you could say. Mm-hmm. It's just in a very roundabout way. It's like if you say equals 100, we're going to treat it like a string. But ultimately, we're going to parse that into the Python you know, assignment operator yep. and the Python 100 as a digit. So it is a kind of a translation layer, if you will. Yeah. And then really restricting what all you're able to do. You know, you mm-hmm. can't do anything that's available to you in Python, but because the, the backend simulator is Python entirely. And so mm-hmm. what we're, you could actually think of the language as really an API into Python and the simulation. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe more natural, like MBA friendly mm. version of it. You yeah. know, and I say that just to mean like anybody who's like a project manager or a product manager or a heck just a manager of business that knows Excel, but knows no coding. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. If they could treat it like a declarative language with really familiar syntax. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like you're, you're kind of drafting off of existing familiarity with Excel's language. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's Excel. I mean, you could probably say the formula bar is, I don't know if it's like a full Turing complete programming language or not, but like it's technically it is, but okay. Very yeah. few people leverage that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, and it's sort of weird cause it's like one, it's like forces you into one line, right? Can you do multi-line things in the formula bar in Excel? Like that alone seems if you can, you, I've never done it. Like I've never well, seen it you, done. You can, yeah. but you have to like drag the bar down to make it multi-line and then yeah. hit like shift enter to go yeah. to the next line. <laughs> it's yeah. like, so it's like, they really don't want you doing that. Mm, and, yeah. It's very rare. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. I could see these, you know, when you, I mean that, that feeling of like refactoring a function where, you know, like it's this, this conditional mess of things. And then like when you pull it out into a function and you, you move the place where the branching logic goes, um, it's mm-hmm. it then it allows you to store local state and you can do all kinds of things that like constrict you if you're just in one like writing basically jamming everything into one line of code which is kind of what excel feels like right yeah and and, it, and maybe this is a good way to sort of like step back and summarize i i was thinking about okay summit is becoming a a new way to i hate to say to make spreadsheets because that's not its goal but there's typically this grid of data that you want to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And in, in spreadsheets currently, I'll call them traditional spreadsheets, you end up with like uh, some random subset of cells that have key formulas in them that kind of drive the entire output yeah. of the sheet. Yeah. What we're kind of doing is taking all those key formulas, like pulling them out of the grid and then putting them together up in this canvas so that you can see them separated and like consolidated up there. And then the grid is just, it's the output of everything. It's just, you know, it's all the outputs. So it's it, kind of separating input from output, which is what mm -hmm. a spreadsheet doesn't do right now and causes so many errors. It's like, man, there's, you know, this spreadsheet might be 50,000 cells, but maybe there's only like 18 formulas that really matter and only the author knows where they are and, mm -hmm. and they have references that depend on the shape of the sheet. It's like really, really dangerous. A lot of brittleness know. there. Yeah. 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 So we're kind of taking those 18 formulas, putting them in a, in a graph at the top and saying, work with this, present this, see how it's nice and clean and separated. And then your output is just your output. And one thing that's like super killer feature is saying, wait a minute, like, we can iterate over days, weeks, seconds, minutes, hours. Like typically with spreadsheet, you're only doing like months at a time. Mm -hmm. um, we can iterate over, you know, simulated theoretical seconds, minutes, hours, whatever, which opens us up to a lot of more use cases, you know, around mm -hmm. like let's simulate, uh, simulate luggage, you know, luggage arrivals at an airport, you know, it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> There's a language for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So there's my update. Str strong update. I, um, I, I mean, Derek and I are waiting to, to play with the cell and, uh, <laughs> and the canvas and see, see, see how it feels. It's going to mm -hmm. be very, very interesting to, to try it. It's, it's very, uh, innovative. Thanks. I, maybe I should have been polite and asked Derek to give his update first, but I don't know. I, if it was me, it would be nicer to be second than first because it's not a it's cold of a start. Um, and actually, we found out on Twitter that there are apparently people uh, that are listening to our podcast but aren't yet listening to our product, which is Derek's podcast. Um, it's absurd. Like, do we need to introduce you? <laughs> I thought we I do thought that we every week. A, I thought we were just a moon in the shadow of their planet. But apparently, <laughs> I had the Venn diagram a little different in my head. I, you know, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. it's possible. Back when, uh, I think back when when Ben was on, we talked about how I knew that my wife was listening to this, and she's not listening to AFP of, of at least of what I know. Uh, so. She was the only one we little knew. Do of. you know she's listening <laughs> to oh, AOP and she's out. like, I'm kind of like, I'm picking who, which startup I'm rooting for the most here, and uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, obviously Derek is uh, the host of the Art of Product and the founder of SavvyCal, which is something we all use now because it's so good. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What uh, is there still work to do? What? Uh, it's pretty much done. <laughs> Just yeah. daiquiris. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I can just give a brief update on what's been happening. Um, Please. I just shipped Outlook integration, which I feel really stoked about. That went out last week, um, and it took took about three and a half weeks of effort. Um, so right, came in right around what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, it's like 
could have been a lot worse and I didn't really expect it to take much less time than that. So it was on the lower end. Um, I was pretty happy with that. Um, and that just opens us up for like, for two types of users. I mean, one, obviously people who use Outlook as their primary calendar and want to use Savvy Cal for scheduling. And then the other cohort is just people who are on the receiving end of a Savvy Cal link and want to overlay their calendar. You know, now you can do that um, with Outlook. And so, so that's, nice. that feels really good. And it, you know, going from uh, one to two calendar integrations just made the whole system so much better, you know, um, mm. like fixed a lot of the abstractions that places where I was cheating and like reaching into an area and assuming that it was going to be a Google calendar there instead of just an abstract calendar. So, you know, getting all those places cleaned up, um, feels oh, pretty good. Yeah. I can imagine the fun of thinking about, <laughs> I mean, calendars are already these abstractions, but the different ways people have to represent calendars, oh, yeah. uh, I can only imagine and then you're dealing I, you said this in a recent episode uh you're also dealing with the lack of paying down technical debt mm-hmm. if you will at these places where somebody jammed in a calendar feature that doesn't actually make sense with the so you can't it's like you end up with on your side you kind of end up with maybe more like a stew <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like um yeah <laughs> because you have rough edges right totally and and the i mean what i'm thankful for is that you know, when I read in people's calendar events, I really only need to care about the title of it um, and when it's occurring, obviously, and then mm-hmm. whether it is set to busy status. And, you know, the, the kind of CalDev and Google Calendar nomenclature for this is, is whether it's is the transparency of the event, whether it's opaque or transparent, basically whether oh, your wow. site is free or busy. <laughs> and then Outlook calls it something else. They're like, I think they have, they have a couple extra states on top of that, I think. But... Um, huh. Interesting. And so like, they actually call the attributes like these presentation-y names. Yeah. Like they, yeah. I remember yeah. this from when I was working at TimeKit. Well, I mean, That's we pretty were wild. going through the same thing with Outlook and, mm-hmm. and yeah, but I remember for Google, the transparency, it confused me a lot at some point. I mean, yeah, I, I'm surprised they didn't just say something like, oh, I don't know, private or confidential. Like, no, let's just, right. let's just talk right. about the UI. Yeah. And it's one of those, I mean, it's one of those cases where, like, um, you know how naming things works. You just get you you, fig- you come up with something, you use it, and then even if it gets changed later in like the interface, I mean, you're probably unless it's like really really egregious, you're probably not going to go update the name of the database column, you know. And if it's already in a public spec somewhere in an API, you're not going to like deprecate and go through the trouble of like forcing everyone to move to a new name. So nah. this feels like one of those many decisions where like um, it hmm. was made. And it is what it is. And no one really calls it that in their interface. You know, it's always like <laughs> yeah. free or busy. <laughs> um, and yet here we are. So, nice. um, yeah, so it's calendars are crazy, man. I mean, the way and there's so much like wizardry that goes on between like when you send a calendar invite to somebody, um, the different ways that like behaviors that occur when you click an RSVP button that your email client might like automatically create for you um, is like, it's essentially under the covers, it's sending an email, but depending on what the identifiers you have in the calendar invite, it may or may not actually influence the, the underlying calendar event that was created. So like the organizer Mm -hmm. may receive an email saying this person confirmed, but then you look on the calendar event, it's showing them as like, you know, unknown status, and there's just so many quirks around it um, that it's been quite a 
quite a fun learning curve, <laughs> but you know, and yeah. so it, it makes me glad that I'm not building an entire, a full calendar right now where like I'm storing, you know, all your events and letting people like do all the calendar management stuff. Cause that, that would just open me up to, uh, to having to care about a lot more metadata around. Yeah. Events. Yeah. It, it also, like, as you're saying this, I was about to say, Oh, well you're, you know, you're digging the moat and I think it, it's true. Yeah. But it's also easy to kind of extrapolate from that and say, oh, well, so anytime we have to deal with this kind of crap, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for you because these are not fly by night, you know, sort of calendars or businesses like, you know, it's worth the investment. Yeah, I guess it'd be harder if like one of these was a hot calendar app that mm-hmm. kind of rose prominence recently. And then you're like, well, do I go through this? But I yeah. assume you're kind of investing in what you're doing now would make it cheaper for you to maybe do that in the future yep totally like it's, it's almost like you're trying to cross their mode mm-hmm. <laughs> actually not taking your own like mm-hmm. you're just trying to navigate their moats and weird fences and whatever they have yeah yeah and and playing a little bit of catch up on like you know one of the one of the decisions that i was faced with early on was like am i going to build these integrations natively myself or am i going to pay like for one of those kind of API as a service abstraction layer companies that there's a there's at least one that I know of that basically gives you a unified API on top of the various calendar providers. That's and what we did at TimeKit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was TimeKit's business, right? Was yeah. was kind of doing that. Yeah. And um the so I guess I didn't really evaluate TimeKit specifically as like an as an option for doing that. But also the weird thing was like most of the the ones I came across were also somewhat competitive already. Like they had, they gave people like a scheduling tool and were kind of selling their scheduling tool already. So it was like, felt sort of like, like this key dependency I was going to put in the hands of, you know, someone who would potentially seek to compete directly with me, um, which just felt wrong. And also I just kind of felt like this is, this is going to be an asset, you know, if I, it's going to, going to take some investment, but having those, those native integrations is ultimately going to be, um, you know, I won't regret that. So, so yeah, feels good to, to get closer. And like the next big one is CalDAV, which is just kind of the, that's like the protocol, the internet protocol for, for, um, mm. calendaring. So it's, that's the one I need. Yeah. So you need that for fast mail and, and I think Apple calendar will actually be powered by the CalDAV. They don't have the, a, to my knowledge, they don't have like a rest API like Outlook and, um, Google do. So I'll just get to use the same open protocol for that. And we'll see how gnarly that is. I don't know if you have any memories of that type of integration, Peter. <laughs> from I, we, we only had Google in, okay. in, okay. in Office 365, I think. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we'll, time will tell on how gnarly that is. But um, but yeah, getting, getting closer. Um, nice. Yeah. It's very... Uh, it's become becoming more like a serious stable business need to churn out these integrations and make things mm-hmm. make sure the things work and mm-hmm. and it's scalable and you have a framework for adding new like it's it's very different from the face that i'm in <laughs> right <Yep. now. laughs> right just duct tape and yeah trying to like be thinking about the future but not too much and like mm-hmm. not you know 
at the many-to-many relations, but not actually implement the team functionality, for example. Like just, you know, all the stuff you learned <laughs> mm-hmm. on the last one. Try to think about that, but not to do too much about it. Yeah, keeping that scope reined in. I mean, and that's still kind of how I'm operating today. Um, and it's hard because the, the, the more mature an app gets, the more you want to do everything, quote-unquote, the right way um, yeah. to, to not you know, lay down future technical debt for yourself. But the, the, the truth is like for any company that's trying to move really quickly and that you're trying to use that as one of your core, um, you know, like unfair advantages you have over a a slower incumbent. The fact of the matter is you're always going to hold a certain amount of technical debt. Like you're just going to have that load, you know, and, Mm. and that's okay. And that's necessary. Um, but I have been, I have felt this a little bit like the month of, February for me was like a, a cycle back and pay down some of that debt and do some, you know, finish the final 20% on some features that, you know, I cut that scope on originally. And that's when you get into trouble is if you don't, if you don't regularly service the debt, (laughs) you know, but you also have to just keep like, you have to keep adding on more debt too, because otherwise you can really, it's easy to grind yourself to a halt and spend an entire quarter and not ship anything meaningful. And that's, you don't want to do that either. So Man, that's a, yeah, that maybe that could, that's a meaty topic. I'll pause. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I was so tempted to bite that hook. But I'll, I'll give a quick update <laughs> <laughs> instead. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had an exciting week last week. Um, that's why I want to give an update. Cool. <laughs> Please do. Um, no, we, uh, we kind of tacked the first kind of like, version of the product that someone could that wasn't us could sign up and use it's still very limited in scope like it only has text fields and text areas and email fields and name fields which is the same as a text field mm-hmm. um it just it, we treat it a little different in the ui uh, because we you probably want to see someone's name when you see a table of things um but it's the same so we we kind of like tacked that version and started inviting people in and you, Derek, were you were one of our kind of like first use cases that we would try to see if we could solve um, some of your early access forms, like sign up when we when we were ready with this integration. Yep. And it was like a nice, very like a small scope that we could, you know, keep our eyes on. And just if we get that to work, like we could always improve. And kind of like in terms of what we just talked about, like the way the way fields work in in reform is kind of inspired by how we build hosts in in a branch where it's it's their 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 own thing like the code is kind of like kept apart for each field so it's easy to just like not worry too much about one field and spend a lot of time on another field and they're not like holding each other back necessarily mm-hmm. um, which is something i kind of i kind of like that pattern like if you can if you can have each integration or feature independent of other features like you can just you can just ignore one for a month and just improve another one and come back to the other one if you need to or rip it out or something like that how did you decide to store these are they like do you have a fields like a field type blob of data that goes into like a json column in your database or something like that yeah, that's basically how it is right now. It's yeah. it, it's actually a quite a big blob of JSON right now, mm-hmm. and it's a little gnarly. But we figured we would rather 
keep it flexible for now and then we can when we learn more about like what all these fields has have in common we can standardize it more and if we need that sort of whatever scalability but um just makes it really easy like we just um that's how it's stored for now like we we knew from the beginning that one day we might need to if we don't move away from that we might have to version it so um we can still uh, easily parse it um but yeah we're just that was the simplest way we could we could mm -hmm. figure out how to do it now and um, so that's basically how it's stored yep nice and yeah so we we built something that you could use and a few other people and we got our first printing customers which was it's always a nice it's a nice milestone um but it's also like you you forget about it like an hour later because well that's then... that that's my stripe subscription um hanging up on the wall behind you right like you framed it right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i thought that's yeah. what that was yeah but you you were only this you were actually only number two derek <sighs> because you were too slow to reply in slack <laughs> Oh man, brutal man, <laughs> brutal. Man. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I texted you first, but you were the second to reply. <laughs> Jeez, you're. I don't know if you're coding on an Outlook or something like that. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I think we got we got uh, two or three two customers, uh, and then a third one kind of like <laughs> wrote me a DM or I wrote him a DM about something, and then we he wants to become a customer and then we got another one today the it's it's nice to get these customers and it's like a nice milestone i don't think they you and the other three people that signed up are, is like our dream early access customer so going forward i think we're probably looking for someone who's more of a like an actual type form not a power user necessarily but like use it on a regular basis and has like a recurring need for this and one potential customer that we, we're talking to right now is they have on the one end, they have very simple use cases and on the, on the others, like they're on the whole spectrum of like how advanced the use cases are and they're willing to switch, um, you know, like in one form at a time, basically to reform. So that's like the perfect kind of customer right now. Like we can grow with them basically. Mm -hmm. And I would like to find more of those, but yeah, that was a really nice milestone. We got, yeah, those four customers and we have that basic MVP that I feel pretty good about. Like there's still a buck here and there, but I feel like the the foundation is, is pretty solid. I, I think the form builder is, it's a good foundation that we can build upon. Um, and we, it only took us a month or a little bit less. So it's good. I, yeah. I think it was a good move to, to try to get that out. Mm -hmm. And then another exciting thing that happened today was um, someone published a form and normally I wouldn't see this because I, we don't have a good way to track this, but I was checking something for him in the database. And the so I noticed that there is uh, two submissions in a row from the same person. And the first one was to his form. And then right after the person signed up for our form, so basically they saw the, the form that he created, went to our, the, our website, read the website and then signed up. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was actually almost more exciting <laughs> than the paying customers because it's like, that's, that's all we want, man. That's like, 
Yeah, man. Then it's working, right? Like it's, yeah. that's how we're going to get our customers, at least some of them. And is that from just like when the, the confirmation page, like you have on the form itself, you have the powered by reform uh, logo text in the bottom right. And then when they submit the form, is it just still the same thing? You have that logo there on the confirmation page too, or do you have like a little um, like call to action there? To we don't have out? a call to action. We just have the logo. Yeah. I think if we, I think the call to action feels, a, it feels a little too much when we're a paid only mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. But I think once we have a free tier, we might be a little bit more aggressive on the, on the thank you page. Mm-hmm. And also, like, it's not a thing that we optimize for right now, right? It's it's nice to see that it works. I think it's the same, the same with your Powered by link. It's like, it's yeah. not something that we're actively trying to optimize right now. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to build a product that works. And we we have a our early access list that we can work from. So it's not like we, uh, like, we're, we're not blocked by finding more people right now. Sure. Um, yep. Yeah, no, that is an interesting question, though, like, um, because it's on, it's been on my list. There's a quick tangent here. It's been on my list to like work on optimizing the the call to action even more. Because I, I have the similar thing on the confirmation page. There's a you know scheduling by Savvy Cal right there under all the details. But um, Calendly has a like they have a little headline and like an email box where you can like with your email pre filled in it where you just click a button to like start a free account or something like that. And then like a little bit of text. So they have like a couple more elements that are that are like more call to actiony and that's even on their paid accounts and um you know it's a it's a little thing but it's also kind of a big thing like there that's a piece of ui that's like you know i i bet they've done a bunch of uh testing on it and and you know optimized it to to maximize kind of that viral loop piece and so yeah it'll be interesting to to see how that evolves for you over time and savvy cal you know because we both have that kind of lever to play with yeah and i think like i've heard interviews with founders of Typeform and for them referrals was huge like yeah. it was basically all their traffic and they couldn't yeah. keep up with it basically yeah but then i've heard other form companies where it's not been a channel channel for them really at all and i think when i think of Typeform, there i can see a lot of situations where the person filling out a type form is a potential Typeform customer as well Whereas some of the other ones are more, much more like B2C. It's like your um, yoga studio has a form for whatever, signing up for a class. It's like how many people that are signing up for a yoga class are also looking for a form. But I think if I'm going after like startups and marketers and stuff like, like, like B2B marketers, stuff like that, like that whole B2B segment, it's like, yeah, everyone needs forms all the time for all sorts of different things. And that's when I'm, when I ask people, like, do you have a use case for this? They're like, not necessarily right now, but like we use forms all the time. So like, I'm sure I will at some point need a form. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that was my update. I, uh, some of the stuff I wrote down in my notes here that I, I kind of wanted to talk to, to you about because I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel, Matt. You might still be in this phase, but I feel like Derek, you you've kind of like crawled out of this phase now and and are in a in a different spot. But this phase, at least that we're in right now with reform, is just so muddy. Like you're just mm-hmm. I've heard Michael Seibel from YC uh talk about how startups is a they're a multi-variable equation. 
And I think like, it's so true. Like I try to keep that in mind. Like there's never one answer to what you should do. Like, cause you're, you're not optimizing for one thing rarely yeah. at least. Yeah. And he's like, he has an example where he's like, I mean, you asked if, if you ask him, if, if like he's talking to YC, uh, startup founder. So this, this might apply to them more like, but he's talking about like these guys, guys living in a flat and they're like, Hey, should we, should, should I take a shower or should I go to the, to the bathroom and do number two? <laughs> and he's like, I would like you to do both. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you Killing. should probably do both right every day. <laughs> um, but it's just like, there's just not one thing that you need to do. And, and it's just stressful. And it's like, I, so I was working in my cabin this weekend, working on, on a little annex that we're, we're building. And I keep coming up with these startup metaphors while I was doing it. Cause mm -hmm. so it applies so well, like you're building the framing and like frameworks and like, and it's just like, once we got the foundation kind of like, like we, we put in the foundation, it's like, okay. Now we have constraints. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I know that this this building is going to be two seventy five times two seventy five, and that's not going to change. So it's already like much easier for me to think about like what the next step looks like and what I need to do. And I feel like we're slowly like we're adding more and more foundation and constraints into reform. But you also don't want to do it too fast. Like you don't want to go into maintenance mode. So another thing I was thinking about um, before I let you speak, Derek, was basically the mom test, but for this phase in the business. And I know it's not only for like idea val validation, but I think that's where a lot of people use the book. And I think you sh you're supposed to use it throughout your business, like when you're talking to people. But I think you kind of like you you read the mom test and you you kind of like follow that um idea when you're validating your idea and you, you feel pretty good about what you have and you start you decide to build the first basic version that you can show to people and then the thing is is like if the people you're talking to don't care enough or don't respond quickly enough or like you don't get the pull that you want like it's so easy to freak out a little bit and just start hardcore like trying to convince people to to use your thing and it's basically like startup hustle, I guess, like, you know, just like, you just got to get some people in there and like make some sales and stuff like that. But it's also super dangerous because I feel like it's the same thing. Like you're kind of lying to yourself instead of asking the question, like, why are they not, you know, so excited to try this, this thing that I told them I would build and now build. And so you start trying to sell it to people <laughs> instead of learning that. And I think a lot of people do that. And I honestly think a lot of people do that in this indie hackers, uh, bootstrapper space that we're in, like, and then you get it's, I mean, that's, then it's, you can just like brute force your way to like a couple hundred dollars MRR or something like that. But you've gone into maintenance, marketing, sales, business mode, but you're like, you're so far from like having the right thing yet. And does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to rush. Um, you don't want to rush the process so much that you fail to discover what the main like reason someone would care about adopting your tool instead of one of the others. Like that's to me, that feels like the 
the primary thing you're trying to suss out with the mom test is like, um, and, and I don't think it always has to be, or is always going to be like extremely obvious, you know, like I don't think because one customers just don't have the same level of imagination that a product person who has synthesized all this information and is like honing in on a particular angle, a unique angle to solve this problem. Like your average customer is not going to necessarily have thought all that through so much. And so like in my experience with, with savvy Cal, like a lot of people claimed to be pretty satisfied with Calendly um, overall. And then once I started kind of working on the positioning exercises and like figuring out like this power dynamic issue is something that people actually are quite affected by. And part of it was just like not realizing that this, that the state of the world could be any different or that this could be the needle could be moved on this front at all. So they just kind of had come to accept it and just thought like, this is just a limitation of scheduling links and, you know, and so it didn't really make it onto their radar as something that is like, something that they were actually dissatisfied about. Now, I started to hear like hints about this pain expressed and some people did come out pretty strongly and say like, hey, this is the this is the thing. Like every time I talk to a VC, I just can't like no one ever sends a scheduling link on either side of the equation because it's just too too fraught. And so hearing some things like that was like, oh, okay, there's evidence that, you know, if I can actually make meaningful improvements on this front like this could be pretty a pretty compelling offering but you know it it wasn't like i don't know i think we like to look at those cases where like there's an avalanche of demand and the waves and all you know all the different metaphors for like um for like when you know when you're being tugged so hard in a direction to build something and i think a lot of times it's just way more subtle than that and and so it's True. like it's just a you know what what you're trying to suss out with your with your earliest conversations is like um you know is, is there something there you can latch on to and and really deliver on and then and then when people who do have that pain and maybe they don't recognize it as that much of a pain when they see what you've what you've put together um it just hits the nail on the head for them and and it's kind of a no-brainer you know a lot of the time like in the first version, you're also just trying to catch up to the kind of like the table stakes. Yeah. And you need that to get people to switch. But then I think it's just, it's probably important to keep in mind that that's not the, that's not the goal. Like the goal is not to make the sale. The goal is for them to give you a chance and then start to like figure out, okay, what are the things that we can do that are really different from the mm -hmm. competition and, make them you know at that point like later on make makes them raving fans of your product because you had some raving fans for savvy cal early on yeah and i and i had a ton of i still have things that are arguably table stakes features that are un unimplemented <laughs> so far but like you, know? you need to have something that can connect to a calendar for example right like, yes you need there to are, have there's there some stuff layers. You need. yeah there's different layers of importance there's like core functionality you know that's like product will never function you know you can't have a car that doesn't have wheels you know so like the car has to have wheels but it doesn't have to have you know um the moonroof or whatever you know yeah. um so yeah there there are definitely tiers of these but i think like um hopefully and i think i think this is what you're finding right that like you 
there's a lot of things you can features you can leave on the table and still be a pretty complete solution for for some customers, right? Did, were you trying to say something, Matt? Uh, oh, I've, or you just opened your mouth at the right. I have, ton, <laughs> <laughs> I have tons of thoughts. I mean, but I, I'm not. Um, Des Trainer. De, yeah, I mean, Des Trainer has this thing I keep going back to. I don't know how many times during this journey that I'm on. I mean, summarize the last two years of working on the idea I'm working on. I feel like I've been in this loop of like looking for the best. So he has this tweet. Uh, maybe I'll retweet it right now. Well, I've already retweeted it once. I don't know if I can do it twice. I'll do so. Anyway, Desk Trainer says, explore the solution space before refining the solution. In other words, get the right design, then get the design right. And it's like refinement is different than exploration. And hmm. I know that with Storm Pulse, which did hit like product market fit, because we had millions and millions of users at one point, when that happened and we were a tiny team, like I was no longer able to work on product because all of my attention got sucked into marketing and sales. And I don't know how it was with Drip. Like, did you get to the point, Derek, where it was so successful as a product, at least as a core product, that you and Rob decided, like, we're going to actually engineer for growth as opposed to engineer the product itself for product's sake? Or did you never really have to make that trade off? Did you have a large enough team where you maybe could do both at the same time? I guess, like, clarify what what engineering for growth looks like as opposed to... I would say engineering for growth looks more like uh, those buttons on that Calendly page that says, Hi, it looks Mm. like you've happened upon this page, which really does nothing to help the end user, but it helps us acquire more users like you. You know, you're basically engineering for non-customers in a way. Yeah, as opposed to engineering yeah. for customers and users. Um, how much of that did you guys do at Drip? And I know we did a lot of it at Storm Pulse because we had to figure out like some kind of, um, I mean, I hate to trot it out, but viral strategy, um, mm-hmm. growth hackery, if you will. We, we had to figure out mm-hmm. some way other than, we had to juice word of mouth, right? It wasn't enough to just to trust that people were going to talk about it. We had to really push on it to get it to go faster instead of just letting it do its own thing. And that meant as a small company features just kind of slowed down dramatically because Mm -hmm. the good news is market didn't seem to care or want more features. The bad news is the 20% of people who did, (laughs) they suddenly had to get in line behind all this growth that, you know, was obviously more important to the business. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like, I think we did. I, I recall actually focusing more strongly on like engineering for growth like earlier on almost Mm. because we were like trying so we had like our you know the little email email capture thing and we like did the powered by drip thing early on for that and you know we, we thought about how to incentivize people to share it how to um uh like build features that would be noteworthy for the sake you know like things people wanted but also like like kind of sexy features that people would want that would really like catch people's attention. Mm. And those things like, um, I feel like were maybe more impactful earlier on when you're just trying to like get people to notice you and you're just trying to get distribution. And then once we had more established repeatable distribution channels, then it, then it became, I mean, a lot of my work became about like dealing with the scaling implications. And that's, that's what like, uh, kind of put pressure on, 
slowing down our, our pace of feature development a little bit was because we were having to deal with the yeah you know so it's definitely it's definitely an ebb and flow like and it depends on the size of the team i know steve blank has this great quote which i'll, I'll just say the the gen- i don't remember word for word but basically you can't do customer discovery and execution at the same time and those are those mm. are different and so like exploration mm. to use desk trainers word is different than refinement and execution and i think you said something last week peter which really thought about multiple times since then also for summit is that i know your aspirations um with reform is the first few sales and by few i mean like bunches of sales shouldn't require a bunch of formalized growth hacking efforts develop you know you shouldn't have to really do that you should be able to just get those almost for free by shipping and delivering a really awesome product and then hand-holding people at the beginning like you shouldn't have to do some affiliate marketing program or business development thing just to get some early traction but then it does seem to get to the point soon after that where you're like okay i could build the world's most awesome product in isolation but like i feel like i've hit the walls of some new pool (laughs) like i've saturated some pool and now if I'm going to bust out of that, I've got to do something beyond just develop the product. I've got to like speak at a conference or go on a 50 podcast. I've got to do something right to break out. And I I wonder, like, I would think based on your traction so far, Derek, that with Savvy Cow, you've got to be getting to that first or- orbit. Somewhat of like yeah. indie, all the indie hackers know. <laughs> and if they haven't bought it yet, they yeah. will soon. So you don't need yeah. to do any more of that. It's like. that does That does feel like kind of where I'm where i'm at because this has been this has been a much slower growth month uh, april has so far you know so I'm, I'm feeling this very tangibly right now that like the people that i am um you know that i have reached to on twitter and that who have already come into the orbit yep. and have seen the product hunt listing mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm beginning to reach a saturation point with that uh with that group i think mm-hmm. and and so things are naturally slowing and it's like i know that um I think the product offering is really compelling and I have a lot of evidence about that from people who, you know, the, the however many hundred thousands of people that have landed on the website to mm-hmm. date then, and the percentage of those that have converted, like I'm getting strong signal from them, but now I'm, I'm becoming more and more constrained by distribution mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. you know? And I wonder like, yeah, like product market fit, right? It's, it requires you to have the good, the, the product that meets the needs, but you also have to have the exposure to the market. Yep. Because yep. I, I imagine there are a lot of like really, really well-made products out there that, you know, that where the founder hasn't really made their efforts to invest in marketing and distribution. And like, it's just largely unknown by the market that would otherwise be latching onto it, you know, yeah. if, if you were making those investments. Yeah. And as you're expanding your market, it's, you kind of have to re regain that product market fit. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like on and off, like yeah. <laughs> when you saturate one market. So, and one other maybe like prong of this is, I I also think that with like a decent product, it's possible to get some sales. Like it, you can almost like a good enough salesperson, and a lot of founders are charismatic, can sell at least one or two <laughs> seats of almost anything and depending on your mm-hmm. price point like it's really not that hard to get to 100 dollars mrr or 200 dollars, right 
and then grind your way to like a couple thousand. And that's basically, I wouldn't say I ground it beyond what, like I went 1,000, 2,000 pretty quick because of the new product release. I could probably go from two to 10 if I really killed myself, but I don't want to. And so I, I do think that you, <laughs> it's a product, it's both sides of the equation, right? It's like, okay, I'm not going to get that next wave unless I integrate with Outlook. I'm not going to get that next wave mm-hmm. unless I support, you know, these kinds of forms. And it's like new product demands do come up. And I do think that probably more than bootstrapper space, people settle for smaller businesses because they don't have the resources to punch through that next need maybe and address the next but wave, I think, right? I th- yeah. I think what I was touching on a bit ago was basically that I, so I'm basically doing what Derek did a year ago. Like I'm, challenging or building a challenger for like a big incumbent product that's still like on the surface as as at least like people have a pretty good sentiment about it Mm -hmm. but when you start digging like there are signals that there's like an increasing amount of people that actually are a little bit annoyed about it and are ready for a better product so it's not like we're innovating Mm -hmm. and 10xing everything and like it's more so i'm obviously looking a lot to what derek did and and trying to steal whatever I can from his his playbook, but it's just it's so important for me right now that I don't try to do at where I'm at what Derek is doing where where he's at. Like I shouldn't try to f- spend my time like finding scalable marketing challenge right. right now. Like that would be jumping the gun because. So basically. I'm going to admit something. I already admitted it to Derek, but I basically over the weekend, I downloaded like 25 episodes of Art of Product, specifically <laughs> from the first episode where Derek starts to talk about Semical and until the public launch. And I I kind of compared it to our own plan, basically. And I, I think I also compared it to the drip, um, kind of like what I know from the drip journey i think you followed a very similar playbook to what you and rob did with drip and so i i kind of like put i i did like a bulleted list basically of the playbook that i think i want to try to follow from the idea phase of reform and until product market fit and if i can just like quickly just go through those bullets and then i have like one more like specific question that i'm struggling with and i would love to hear you guys kind of like what you think about it more on like a tactical uh take so the so it's kind of like the first phase is the idea phase it's the step number one is like the discovery and validation it's like having conversations it's jobs to be done it's like trying to find a good market and a good idea i think um yeah that's the mom test is like a a good book for that phase right Mm -hmm. um next step on our journey which is kind of flipped um, in terms of what you did with Savical, but the next step is putting up an early access annou- announcement on a website. And the reason we did that, but I think you didn't do it, was because we, I think you knew that you had enough people from just your early conversations that you could start like with building a product to those people. And you actually, you talked to enough people and had like enough commitment from those we we needed more information and more validation so that's why we decided to do all those mock-ups and actually do like a website to kind of like show the product and like a, a, a basically a fake version of the product um and i think 
that was what ultimately convinced us that we had something to go forward with, not necessarily the idea and discovery like phase we were or the the discovery and validation phase. Like we we needed a little bit more proof, and that's why the smallest thing we could build was like a fake product and a landing page. Mm-hmm. So the next stage is kind of like building the MVP. So the first milestone there is like get dog fooding your own product. And that's what we're doing right now um, with our early access list. And um, that's actually really awesome. We have, I, we, I had to add pagination to the, mm-hmm. to the backend and we showed 20 signups on a, on a page. And just since Tuesday, I have, I'm on like page seven now. Nice. So it's, it's just a good feeling. <laughs> And then the next phase after that is finding your first users. And I think that's what I did with you and like the handful of other people that, that signed up. It's like, I was almost like friends and family. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's not complete strangers. It's people, you know, <laughs> and they're not necessarily the, the, your target customer. It's just like people who kind of want to support you and want to try their product and are curious and they can give you the kind of feedback of like, like Brian Castle was signing up for reform and, and, and it didn't work. Like he couldn't sign up. It's like, it's better that it's someone who's not your like dream customer than like, you know, you're it's, if it's your friend, it's like, they'll just tell you that it's broken. You'll fix it. And then they'll try again. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, then the next phase is like trying to like, that's the whole product user fit phase that we talked a lot about in this podcast. And I think that's where we're headed into now with reform. And the first bullet I have there is basically kind of like nail it for a few people. And that's what I talked about with don't like go into maintenance mode before you're done with this step, like find five to 10 people that are your ideal customer and get them as a customer, get them like happy, active, paying, you know, get their feedback, iterate on the product. And I think if you do that, and I think that's, this is the step that a lot of people miss they go into the next, I'm not going to go through the rest of the bullets now because then it's like launching, you're just like going product hunt. And then finally, like the last step is when you become a business and then when you're looking for like scalable marketing challenges, stuff like that. But I think it's, I'm so nervous that we jump the gun and, and launch <laughs> before we have figured out what the right product is and what the right messaging is and what what we are and for who basically, because you don't really know for sure. Um, I think that's something you did really well with Savical and listening to the back to the podcast. I think that's a big reason why it was so successful early on is because you spend enough time working with you were you were in a good situation where you had some really awesome early access customers. It sounds like they were willing to give you a lot of feedback. I'm not talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) They gave you a lot of feedback that was like something you could use to improve the product so that when you open it up more, it was a really, really good product and you kind of knew what people cared about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, um, primary motivation for those earliest users. It's not, you know, the couple hundred dollars in MRR is not, you know, that's not the most important (laughs) thing. Although it is important, I think for them to be paying as early as possible because that's just further, um, alignment of incentives and proof that they're like, Oh no, they're actually serious and they're not just doing you a solid as a friend and potentially skewing your, uh, you know, assumptions. Um, right. So, I think basically like thinking about all this, like the conclusion I came to 
was that it makes no sense for us with reform to move to the next phase of like launching stuff before we can find five to 10 really happy customers. Like we already technically have eight customers or something like that, that have paid to use the product, but none of them is like my ideal persona. Um, maybe one or two is, but we don't know for sure, like how, how much they, they're going to use the product, but it should, it should be like, it's not, it's, and I told Bjorn this today, like, it's not even a goal. It's more like a barrier. Like we need to find five to 10 people and build this, like it could not finalize, but like finalize the version one of the product with them. Like we have the foundation now and we need like, if we just like, if we can't find those people and then instead we like conclude that we should just launch this thing or like do some marketing or find a new channel or something like that, we'll just be wasting time. And yeah, that that's kind of like something I worry about. And then now to my question, <laughs> but I, I listen to podcasts like yours and a lot of these and maybe we even do it here on this podcast as well but then people say stuff like yeah and i'm like about to onboard the first customers or the first users and it's it's a little bit of a mystery to me it's like like do you just how, like how how do you have these like i mean i have an early access list right now but i don't know for sure like who i should be like mm -hmm. who this these should be necessarily like i have ideas but yeah well, yeah, I mean, it's so the question is kind of around like where how do you how do you go about recruiting? it sounds so easy, but it's like yeah. all the stars needs to be aligned. It's like they need right. to have an actual use case. They mm -hmm. need to be a good fit. They need to be ready when you are like they need to be flexible. You mm -hmm. need to move fast. Like there's so many things that needs to align like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I've never um, like experienced like that phase for me is usually like there's a couple of people from the initial group. So when I, when I kind of suss out who that group is and I like to start with the people that I actually know, you know, that I can, that I have enough rapport with where I can just send an email like personally and it's not like this weird formal thing, you know? Um, but like, yeah, the odds of like that one of your friends is going to have an immediate need for your product is decently low. And even like, you know, I, I have a, I have a need for, reform but it's not like a immediate burning need for an ongoing use case for me right now you know but i'm still interested in i'm paying for the product and i will use it for forms as needs arise so you're right that it's like it's it's hard to um it's hard to just have a list in your head of people that you know definitely need this who are also friends of yours that you can you know just personally email um so like i can't tell if this is a blind spot that i have yeah. in all of this or yeah. if i'm just completely like overcomplicating it yeah i don't think i mean i think like what are you putting in the email like what like yeah. why why with my early access list right now do i not like have a clear answer for this mm -hmm. like one of the ideas i have this week is like sending out like literally like a feature survey and like asking people specifically like if you want to use the product fairly soon like you need to fill out this form and it mm -hmm. asks for like their use case if they're active actively like looking for a solution to this like if they have a use case available if they're willing to pay for it, like just literally like ask these questions i'm like i'll probably have like an extremely low conversion rate but i mean we have 700 people on the list so you know 
if like one percent of them becomes a customer mm-hmm. and is a really good customer actually not too bad <laughs> right now because it's sort of what we need yeah hmm. can I ask a question here <laughs> I, what yeah. what are you trying to learn you talked about learning is like your big thing what do you what are you trying to learn because it's I, I i i'm leaning towards the year overcomplicating it a bit just because <laughs> i appreciate the rigor at the same time you know, like you said earlier in this thing, you're not, I'll put the big quotes that the listeners can't see. You're not innovating. <laughs> you're not creating something completely new. So to some extent, it's like somebody says, make a salad. You can sit here and agonize over like Roma or whatever tomatoes. But like, I, what are you trying to learn? Like, is it really important if people prefer one thing or don't you just need to don't you just need to build out the product but why don't we just like but then why don't we just like publicly launch it like as soon as possible well, I, I think you have to have a good answer is to that, that what why we don't do? you yeah that's another question you, is that, if that's not rhetorical i could come up with some some reasons might be that people will get the wrong first impression and you'll waste those first impressions on people that's always a risk that's one worry right yeah. So putting out something that is a sucky form builder, if, if, if what's there sucks, if it's not that minimal lovable thing that you quoted Jason Cohen about, then I wouldn't launch with that. I think that's a mistake. That's the like uh, agile or lean to an absurd point, which is the wrong approach anyway. Um, but like if you've got a solid thing, but it's missing some features, there's got to be people out there where that's enough. Like they don't need a true false. They don't need a multiple choice. Maybe, you know, but like to me, this feels like you get, get the last couple of must have things in there and launch the thing. I, I don't know what, I don't know why not. What's the, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I did with savvy. Like I, I had my list of personal contacts that I know use scheduling tools that I had conversations with and people who agreed like, yeah, I'll totally hop in and start using it. And that was just, that was a handful of people. And even some of those even didn't like convert right away when I invited them, they were just busy. People are busy, you know? Um, and then from there I kind of started, like got to the point where I was basically randomly sending emailing to cohorts from the launch list. I just, what I avoided doing was like, email all of them all at once because the risk there if in the event that there is something that's like a big deal um and would potentially uh you know negatively impact that that first impression um then you you haven't blown through the entire list (laughs) small batches yeah small batches yeah it's just risk mitigation but Mm -hmm. like you don't have to space those out super far it could be like you know one batch a week over the course of one month or three weeks or whatever Mm -hmm. you know um but yeah, if the learning to, if the learning has stopped, then it's time to launch to another <laughs> to another group. You know? Yeah. The the truth is like I still have a list of like thirty people or something like that that just like was there were just names that of people I knew on the list mm-hmm. um that I still haven't reached out to. I've reached out to like twenty other people or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's on my list this week. But it's I, I'm finding it hard to like align, line up these people and get the timing to work. But then it's like, I mean, I can't really wait for them, right? I mean, with so, this with this kind of product, you're talking about a market of 
hundreds of thousands of customers, hopefully, which means you will have gone through tens of millions of leads at some point <laughs> to get those customers or millions of leads. You, the numbers are like not in your favor if you're trying to line things up. Like I figure you yeah. could actually be discouraged thing, or like, misled by initial reactions that are kind of meaningless, you know. I talked to one of my investors today and he asked like how I was, how I was feeling about things and how I felt like it was going. And, and my response was that the thing <laughs> I, I think that I'm overcompensating from, from, from branch, basically from some of the things that we did wrong with branch or that didn't work out. So like mm. this whole momentum thing of like keeping like a steady stream of like, talking to people and get them in the app is like something I worry about. But in fact, and this is something we talked about in Slack, Derek is like, that's not a prop. Like it's not a problem. It's not a real problem right now. Like just while we're recording right now, like I bet if I refresh, refresh our early access pages, like 10 new people I could email. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually blocked by the product, but <laughs> you know, with branch, we had unlimited time to work on the product and not that many people to talk to. So it, it's but it's it's just like a you you it's like a scar basically yeah um and so i'm like instead of celebrating that we have paying customers and like people are you know two people are customers now that i asked if they what they thought of the idea a month ago and they told me specifically they the product sounded cool but it's not something they would consider paying they wouldn't pay for it and these are customers now mm -hmm. and i didn't try to sell it to them but still like i'm telling myself like the customers we have are not the right kind of customers they aren't good enough customers like we need better customers <laughs> i mean maybe I, i'm I, just i also don't think you fully know what your ideal customer is going to look like honestly you can you no, can have your true. hypotheses about that look a lot of this is just like you're coming up with hypotheses around you know how the product should function how it should be differentiated this what the features you need to focus on uh first before you can really launch it we know the product today is not in the state where you can confidently like start inviting batches like you've got your list of things that you know you need to do yeah um, and that's why i need those five to ten customers that are like active and use the product they use the product a lot basically and yeah you know they they most of the people I have right now aren't getting many submissions. So like, it's not really being battle tested. It's mostly our own form that's battle testing it right now. Yeah. So I, th and I think, but I think, I think the timing will work out probably that, you know, in the next month, like we'll get to most of those features and parallel, I'll invite people in when the stuff they need is there. Does that sound like an, an okay plan? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll be at a different, you'll be in a slightly different phase once you feel like the product is like, you know, it's, it's meeting the 80% of table stakes use case, you know, type of functionality that you need. Um, so then you'll have a much higher hit rate of like the likelihood that so, if someone is just kind of, if they're not the most crazy power user type, um, type customer, then they can probably get value out of the product and it would probably satisfy uh, most people's use cases, then you can more confidently start testing it by launching to small cohorts and 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 keep learning, you know. Hmm. But you are constrained by product right now until you get to that place, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. It just feels wrong to like just do product all the time. It's not the, like it really, it it's really illegal. isn't though. Like when you're dealing no. with a, your product. That's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, well. You're going nuts on the product. I've And I've done it like three or four times because I'm crazy and I like to build things that don't exist yet. And it's a special kind of uh, dementia. But the the thing is with yours, <laughs> like. It's because you had an exit already. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the first one was hard too. But like the. the uh, um, don't turn things into like perceived risks that aren't. Like I, I, I actually was sitting here going, why are you even. Why are you even wasting time talking to people until the thing is until once you love it and it, you love it because it's, it's, it's perfect in its little incomplete way, then like you, you're going to want to share it with people. But like, I don't know how much, like, is it really worth it? The only reason you should be talking to people right now is to learn something you don't already know. Right. Not, yeah, not for them, to, not for that, them like, to be like, I do love it, Peter. I do love it too. Yeah. It's like, like that for example, there's there, there are a ton of people that want to embed it. A lot of people want to embed the form and we still don't really understand how and why they want to do that. Like we understand that they want to do it for like a contact That's fine. form. You'll do that like in that. the third sprint after launch or the fourth sprint or the whatever. It doesn't, that's, that's not a launch mm-hmm. criteria. But this is like a specific thing that we like. It's something that almost like half of the people that are describing their use case are mentioning. So it's something we need to learn. But that's like that's more concrete. Like I can, my brain can like right, ra- I can ration about like how we need to just ask people the question why, like about well, how they want to embed I mean, it. But it's not. Do you so even abstract. need to ask them that though, or do you, you know how embedding a for like? It's probably pretty simple. Like it's either a pop up or an inline. Like you can evaluate how the others how the other tools are doing it and how you're yeah but like this was an example of like that's actually not a problem like in my brain can like figure that out yeah but it's something that we need to learn sort of or like come up with a plan for it's more like this abstract like i don't know i guess i just wonder you have blind spots you're worried you have blind spots right right now so you're afraid to forge ahead and spend a month building product and are you afraid you're going to spend time building something that people don't need or missing something that people do really need? Is that kind of the, is that the fear in your mind right now? Yeah. The, the fear right now is like, I convinced myself that like we need to build more product to have something that's worth people signing up. And then we do that and then they don't sign up. It's like, it's yeah. basically you're just where in a different, we're planning a party and then no one shows up at the party. Yeah. You're in a different phase though right now because your, your product is pre-usable. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's moderately usable right now for a very narrow, simple use case. And so I would say it's not full. It's not a full like implementation of the product that you're seeking to put out into the market. Yeah. I mean, you put it differently the other day, like you said, we're like, it's, it, it's, I mean, we're not delivering the product that we are selling on the website yeah that people signed up for yeah so you've already set the spec only you've already created the spec and set the bar now you have to yeah now you have have to deliver for the yes now you have to deliver on that promise right and like i i actually would say don't don't try to spend no time talking to people right now unless you're going to learn something unless you need to know something and then you're like oh i need to know x i should go ask so and so let me go ask Xander or whatever, because I know this or Derek, unless something comes to mind that you don't know, you know, a lot. 
I, I mean, yeah. I just don't, I don't think. I appreciate that. <laughs> the The other day I needed to figure out like what feels we needed. And I just logged into Typeform and saw what feels. Yes. I had. There's nothing wrong with self-serving yep. yourself answers. Like nope. <laughs> I think if you and Bjorn love it and it, you, you're sort of like, it could be better. There could be more, -er, you know, but it works and we love it. Then, yeah, I, I just think the numbers the numbers are going to be so big and need to be so big for this to work that hinging off of half the people right now in this tiny little sample is pretty darn meaningless because it means if 50% of tens of millions of people don't need that, you can still build an amazing business ignoring those people, you know, entirely. Like, mm -hmm. even if that mm -hmm. number held, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. You know, it's... If you're going after uh, the Fortune 100 and like 50 of them told you they need feature X, then you have to do it because half that market is not acceptable. Like you have to dominate. But I mean, if you end up with, your growth is not going to be limited by any feature that some subset of people need at this point. Like you just need to build what everybody needs. Build what everybody needs <laughs> first. And like launch it, you know. That's, yep. I think you are building it. We've said it three times now. You're constrained by product. So what am I doing on a podcast for? I don't know. You keep setting these things up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I'll let that marinate until tomorrow. So let me put it that actually, you need to come I'll back flip, another I'll flip day. this around real quick. If you were to invite a wave of people right now, you would expect them to be disappointed and you would know pretty darn sure what most of them would say. Once you get to the point where you expect them or hope that they'll be happy and you can't think mm -hmm. of what they might say that would be disappointing, that's when you're ready, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I can't email those five people because it doesn't have X and I know they'll complain about that. Well, then stop thinking about it and just build X, right? Once you get to the point where you're like, I... I don't know why they wouldn't love it. Uh, I love it. And I don't know what X could possibly be. Like, then you should invite those people. <laughs> with the disclaimer that, yes, I agree with that, Matt, with one, one big asterisk on it, which is that, you know, we're all like very uh, detail-oriented product people. Oh, yeah. So it's, e you can, it's easy to convince yourself that like, well, shoot, well, if I don't have the full and all three way modes of embedding, yeah. like... Someone's going to complain about that, and therefore I can't launch it yet. So that the trap yeah, is yeah, like yeah. is pushing it way too far, and, and anticipating that's right all the long tail of ways that people could be disappointed. Yeah. Um, so you have to draw the line in the sand for yourself yeah. at some yeah. point, I, and and just agree. Maybe from a so I'm not, I'm not sending out a feature survey as I as I proposed. You're not. I'm just sending out like a hey, yeah, I'm still here. Email. Yeah, give them some updates. What's the latest? You know. What's the latest that, that you built? What are you excited about? Mm -hmm. Keep them keep yeah. them excited about what you're excited about. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I got what I wanted. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's why I came. I, I we didn't have a mastermind this week, so I I I needed I needed you guys to come on a call. Sweet. I had fun doing it. I managed to. Well, Matt actually set this up. Anyways, thank you, Matt. <laughs> sure, you're welcome. <laughs> any uh, any any closing thoughts? 
feel like we hit it all. That's pretty good. Right at an hour. Did you see the guy who made like a fake uh, podcast co-host where you could just like put in, he recorded like answers and takeaways and stuff like that. You can just put in, so you can just do a podcast with yourself and him. (laughs) I didn't look, I didn't look at that. I saw the tweet though. And I just, I chuckled. I was like, I'm sure that's really funny. And one of them (laughs) hit really close. I was was like, I think I saw a tweet thread about that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, people should check that out. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for hanging out. Yep. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. See ya.